It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome. I am Kim Munson, and we have a lot to talk about today. Happy Monday. Uh, just a lot going on out there. First of all, I uh, want to say how, how just tragic how our heart breaks again regarding these mass shootings, uh, the one in El Paso and also the one in Ohio. Uh, there's something there's something wrong within our society when this kind of stuff happens. It's not the weapon that is doing this. There's something inherently in the, the fabric of the soul of some of the folks in our society. And Steve, you said something very interesting as we were preparing to go on the air. Uh, you know, when we get to a society that overall doesn't value life, whether or not in, on the front end regarding, um, you know, the abortion of babies or on the back end where we start to decide whether our grandma or grandpa, uh, you know, that they uh, are, are living a, a life that we think is, um, uh, you know, still vibrant. Uh, we are in very dangerous situations, and I think that we're starting to see some of that stuff play out in our in our country, and I'm really sorry about that. Yes, uh the minimizing of life, like you said, at both ends, uh, but the uh, constant pulling away from any moral authority and or outright rejecting moral authority, I just kind of start to think it's a natural outcome. Well, I think that it is. And, and, and you know, it's uh, we uh, you know, we are just heartbroken about what has happened in in Ohio and El Paso and the mass shootings. However, what is, you know, the thing that people don't really realize is this is uh, Saturday, July 27th from the Chicago Tribune. In Chicago, 1,517 people have been shot this year. Now, the pundits might say that, hey, there was, uh, that's uh, 129 fewer than in 2018. So pundits might say, oh my gosh, uh, shootings are down a little over 10% in Chicago this year. Let's wait a minute. 1,517 people have been shot. And in this particular piece, it says that most of the shootings happened during the summer. And uh, then they also have a, a, a map on where m- many of those shootings occur. But as you look at this, it's 18-year-old male, 29-year-old male, 19-year-old male, 28-year-old male, 12-year-old female. And a lot of these shootings are black on black. And where is everyone that is talking about, uh, you know, all of these shootings and, and that are so concerned about it, but they are these Democrat politicians who run the city of Chicago and Democrat politicians are, are turning a blind eye to what is happening, happening in Chicago. And once again, I think that that is within the fabric of what is happening. The schools in Chicago are not doing their job. We're seeing a number of government run schools that are Edu- uh, that are graduating kids that don't have the basic skills to make sure that they're a success. We as a society 
have pumped tons of money into education because we think that's what's happening and that we are teaching kids to think higher, to strive for excellence. And that is not as, that's not happening. And it's been going on for quite some time. And I think that we're starting to see that, that the, the mental health of, of America may not be as healthy as we would like it to be. And I think it's because, as Steve, you mentioned, we continue to move away from those foundational principles of virtue, morality, all of those things that, that were inherent within the American founding. Steve, what do you think? I use the analogy, especially after recently being on a, on a cruise, a, a big ship, when it comes into port, it immediately gets moored or tied to the dock. If you cast those lines loose and wait, it will eventually drift away. The whole reason for it being moored or tied up at the dock. And uh, somewhere to wherever you want to start the clock, some people take it all the way back to 63, 1963, when the Supreme Court said it was okay to take prayer out of school. Whenever you want to start the clock, I mean, those lines were cast off and the ship drifted away. And that's the U.S. today. Well, and, you know, I think that the that many of the things, the foundational things of America have ultimately been used against us. I remember that um, when I was a kid, when we started to see, you know, there were riots at Boulder, you know, started to see riots across the, you know, all, many of the universities and colleges in America. And uh, I lived in western Kansas, and my dad would say, uh, as we we were farmers, as we saw uh, like a bunch of VW buses going west, that, oh, there's probably going to be a riot in in Boulder this weekend, and there was. And and my dad, though, he, he realized, he said, but we have freedom of speech. But yet there's a responsibility, my, our good friend Ben Martin, who we do the Federalist Papers show with, and thank you to the Harris family for that great show. He said that liberty is the responsible exercise of freedom. Freedom doesn't mean that we just do anything we want, anytime we want. There has to be responsibility and duty in that. And I don't know what the year was, Steve. You mentioned the early 60s. I mean, that's where we saw things really start to play out. I think that those seeds were actually being planted prior to that. But we are seeing that our good manners are, uh, you know, not not talking about politics and religion, quote unquote, in in uh, um, pr- um, you know public company. That those things have been used against us, and that's why we do this show is so that we can actually understand these different issues, and that we can talk with each other reasonably and civilly. And but th- that we know what we're talking about. So much, so many of these conversations these days are just highly volatile. Uh, People have not done the research. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm paraphrasing, he basically said, if you cannot defend your premise two questions in, instead of, and again, I'm paraphrasing, instead of throwing up your hands saying, I agree to disagree, or we agree to disagree, you may need to check your premises. You need to make sure that you can defend and make a defense for what you believe, why you believe, and that's one of the reasons why we did this show. I know I got into that before we even got into the normal things that we do, but I thought it was important because these shootings, and, and the the really unfortunate thing about this is there are politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties, and, and Steve, we have a new acronym for them. They're PBIs, Politicians, Bureaucrats, and Interested Parties. 
then use these events to try to go after the foundational things that were put into the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And so we need to have, there needs to be some hills that we say we're not giving up on this. And um, the Bill of Rights is one of those. So that, that gets us right into, we talk about freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Socialism ultimately comes down to force. And it is never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property, or their freedom via force, whether it's with a weapon, policy, or unpredictable and excessive taxation. So one of the questions Stephen Kessler, PhD, has us ask is, you felt good, but did you do good? And so we see the socialization of many of the key things that make our lives better, transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. And we need to understand that and push back in the, the force component and move towards freedom. And before we get into everything else, Steve, thank you. Thank you to our team, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie for all your support and your great work. And thank you to each of you listeners out there. Each of you, you're valued, you're treasured, you have a purpose. And so go out there and do that today. And our inspiration uh, today is from George Washington. He said, 99% of failures come from people who make excuses. Again, 99% of failures come from people who make excuses. <clears throat> now, Steve, are you ready for the funnies? Oh, I can't wait. Okay. What's the difference between death and taxes? I don't know. The Colorado State Legislature doesn't meet every year to make death worse. <laughs> and that is a segue to let you know in segments three and four, we'll be talking with former uh, state senator and former Denver City Auditor, Democrat, uh, Dennis Gallagher. Dennis Gallagher and uh, Ron Stewart, who we're going to talk with tomorrow, and three other Democrat senators back in the early 80s put together the Gallagher Amendment, which was, which was voted on by the people of Colorado and put into the Constitution. And what it does is says there's going to be the, the tax mix from between on property taxes between commercial and residential will be 55% commercial and 45% residential. And we have maintained that balance throughout the state since 1982. There are some surgical things that need to be done with that because as Gallagher interfaces with Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, the assessed person percentage has gone down on residential. But the reason is, is because overall the state has continued to add more and more residential in, but also more and more uh, commercial. And Steve, there's going to be a real assault. Uh, we're seeing uh, an organized effort to try to uh, encourage the people of Colorado to vote to get rid of the Gallagher Amendment, which keeps their property taxes low. And to also to get rid of tax the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which is basically says to PBIs, your politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, hey, if you want to raise our taxes, if you want to incur debt or, uh, on our behalf, or if you want to keep our tax refunds above a very generous formula of po uh, population plus inflation, PBIs, you just have to ask us. But interestingly enough, they don't want to have the good manners to ask us because we might say no. And so there is this organized effort to go after those two key things that keeps government out of our pockets uh, to, a, to a greater degree than what they wanted. 
And so that is why we are doing these shows so that you can understand these issues and and um, be confident in knowing uh, how these will affect you. And, and if you, in fact, want to vote for higher taxes, you know, certainly you can do that. I would say if you want to pay higher taxes, why don't you just go ahead and send a check and let the balance of us, you know, keep most of our money. Um, but anyway, those are two things that we really need to learn a lot about, and that is Tabor and the Gallagher Amendment. And congratulations to Natalie Minton. You know, she did this uh, Tabor book boot camp on Saturday out at the Lakewood Library. And apparently it was sold out. People arrived at the door. And I find that very encouraging, Steve, that people are, are willing to step out and learn about this issue so that they can can protect Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. So that's really great for Natalie. Yes. Congratulations to her. And especially on a Saturday, too, at this time of year, that's, you know, that that's really indicative of the fact that there are people out there who, who want to know more and are concerned about what the government is really up to. I mean, again, I like to, I spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff and the assault on individual prosperity is, is the only thing I can think to call it when government just wants more, more, more. Oh man, Steve, we're going to have to use that. The assault on individuals prosperity. And that is what it really is. You know, money is, is either going to be in your pocket or it's going to be in the government's pocket. And, uh, and I submit to you that private enterprise can do much better and make better choices with their own money. Now, I, we agree that there's a, a certain percentage of taxes that needs to be paid for, you know, things such as our military and our roads and bridges. But after that, I think government should step back and we should be making those own choices ourselves. So we're going to go to break. Uh, we've got tons of headlines. There's so much I want to talk with you about. The, and, uh, uh, before, before we go to break, dare we share my little, uh, what I observed yesterday morning on the way to church? Oh, oh you want to get my blood pressure going, don't you? <laughs> on my yes, way to church, <laughs> on my way to church, uh, I was stopped at a stoplight uh, near I-25 in Lincoln. It's not the Lincoln that goes downtown. This is the Lincoln in the south end of the metro area. While at the red light, uh, an RTD train went over Lincoln on the bridge. And since the sun was to the east, shining right through the train, I was able to basically see it. I had like an X-ray view of the train. And without even thinking it uh, or, or about it, uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I said, oh, look at the empty train. You know, and that is money. And, you know, running empty trains, actually, uh, it costs a lot from an environmental standpoint to run empty trains. But they're, the PBIs, the politicians, bureaucrats and interested parties, you know, people that build those trains, they don't care about results. Mm. They want to, But what they do want to do is to move people out of their their cars and they want to move them into onto trains and buses and and bikes but the pbis don't they don't use them they want you to use them and uh as we always are i want to continue to bring forward is the freedom of mobility the freedom to choose the vehicle that works best for you and your family and the freedom to be able to move around is inherent for as steve said individual prosperity so but we're going to go to break we have a whole bunch more headlines in the second segment we'll be talking with uh, dennis gallagher regarding the gallagher amendment in segments three and four so stay tuned we'll be right back looking for an awesome place to host your draft party look no further than hooters with tons of tvs 
free Wi-Fi, world-famous wings, and ice-cold beer, you're probably thinking, it doesn't get any better than that. But wait, at Hooters, it does. Every fantasy league gets a free draft kit and over $200 in Hooters swag. Join us for fantasy football done Hooters style. Book now at Hooters.com slash football. That's Hooters.com slash football. See you at Hooters. All AmeriChicks sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. We're having important conversations about issues out there so that you can protect you and your family from overreaching government, from different issues. And, and the more money that you have in your pocket, the more that you can go uh, and, and uh, seek out your own personal prosperity, your own personal economy, as Jason McBride with Presidential Management uh, actually specializes in. But before we get back into that, Steve, you said you wanted to give a disclaimer regarding your x-ray vision into the uh, the RTD light rail cars that you saw on Sunday morning. Yes, in all fairness, let's just say that uh, there were three cars on that train at, uh, what was it, 8.30 on a Sunday morning. All three were empty. Uh, why not just one car? I mean, I know they have to make the run because they need to provide the service for somebody who might need it. But uh, why three cars instead of just one? On a Sunday morning, very, you know, very important. And again, private enterprise would would make that adjustment because they would realize that it costs so much to run, you know, three cars. They would make that adjustment. But government doesn't have to because government doesn't really have to have results. They just want to have that continued program. And that is what we have in the beauty of both the Gallagher Amendment, which keeps property taxes affordable and fair, and then the Tabor Amendment, which says, hey, PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you want to raise our taxes, incur debt, or keep our tax refunds, you have to ask us. So something very interesting is happening out in Jefferson County. And interestingly enough, all of the Jefferson County commissioners voted to put this on the ballot. And I really think that uh, our representatives should work to protect Tabor, to make the case for, for Tabor and why that is good for everyday people. But actually, all of the Jefferson County commissioners voted to put this on the ballot, which, you know, in the spirit of Tabor, you know, that is, that's good. They're going to ask that. Typically, they, they use, for example, on Proposition CC, 
which is going to be a statewide or possibly a statewide question. It was referred by the state legislature to the, the ballot. But both of these things are doing the same thing. It's in Jefferson County. They're saying, hey, Jefferson County residents, can we keep all your tax refunds above a, a certain formula of population inflation forever? And that's what Proposition CC does over on the state level. And you know what? We may want to speak for ourselves, Steve. We, we may say, okay, government, we think you're doing such a great job. You can keep our, our, excess ta- or our, re- our tax refunds. But should we really be speaking for our kids? Don't you think that, that we should actually, instead of be, being taking away their voices on this, that we should make sure that we protect their voices on that, Steve? Absolutely. Again, you hear me bring it up, uh, the, uh, the debt clock. Anybody who really wants to be a sobering realization needs to look at the debt clock online. Uh, now I don't have the website off the top of my head, but the point I'm trying to get to is the amount of spending that is going on at all levels of government is astonishing. And there is no government that seems to be showing any real discipline in this arena. So this this whole prospect of saying we want it all or we want more of what you have (laughs) is just and it goes on to the next generation. And you have used the the phrase several times, an IOU uh, that uh, we're putting out there that our kids are going to be responsible for. Well, and, and speaking of that, whenever I think about presenting our children with this big fat IOU, trillion in debt, and that's at the national level. That's not on the state level where we have uh, commitments to, uh, uh, commitments that are not even on the balance sheet for para. You know, making all these promises that other people are going to have to pay, there's something really immoral about it. And, you know, Steve, I I did some uh, recordings for my World War II project the other day. And uh, a guy that I, and this will be on, I think, this weekend, And the guy that I talked to, Steve Castles, he's an an archaeologist, and he's working with History Flight, where they are going to the Pacific as well as to uh, Europe, and they're finding uh, the bodies of our soldiers from World War II. They're working to identify them and bring them home. So I asked him about his very first soldier that he found, and this took my breath away. He said the first soldier that he found they guessed he was probably 15 years old. He was a Marine on Tarawa. He died on Tarawa. He was probably 15 years old because his his plates, uh, you know, as they grow together, as you mature, they hadn't even gotten to that, that point. So he said he figured they were about 15 years old. So let's think about this, Steve. We have, we have people that stepped up and given blood and treasure all the way from the Revolutionary War where they said we are going to, we are going to stand for freedom, and they put blood, treasure, everything on the line. You go to the Civil War, you know, World War One, World War Two, all of these conflict conflicts where our military has stood, and and I know the military is not perfect, but and America's not perfect, but man, we're the best thing out there. And these people put everything on the line to pass something good on to the next generation, and here we are looking at passing on a big fat IOU. There's something. And inherently un-American about doing that, Steve. Yep, I, I'm total agree. And and again, I every time, yeah, I, I need to be depressed for a while, so I'll go look at the deck clock. Uh, <laughs> that's probably <laughs> rather sadistic, but uh, yeah. it it just takes your breath away when you see the numbers spinning and how much debt is occurring on a 
one second or a one minute, one hour, one day, one week. It's just, it's just astounding. Well, and, you know, we talked to economist Brian Dimitrievic quite a bit, and he's very optimistic that we can, we can uh, get a handle on this. If we get this economy going, and, and uh, President Trump has done a couple of things, that is redoing, uh, reducing rules and regulations and redoing, reducing taxes. Those are two components. But another component is, and we've got to have a, a conversation about that, this, and that, that is uh, reducing our spending. And we have not uh, we've not done that yet. Now, just very quickly, and I'm going to probably come back this to this tomorrow. But Colorado is moving forward with fees for Uber and Lyft riders to combat climate change. It says in a wave of energy and environment legislation that passed through the Colorado Gen- General Assembly this year, one bill slipped through that received very little public spotlight: a proposal to charge a fee to customers of ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft to help combat climate change. Will Tour, the director of the Colorado Energy Department, acknowledged the specifics have not yet been decided, but he's described the basic fee structure. The fees are designed to incentivize electrification in multi-passenger trips, Tour said, so the deta- details remain to be worked out. My friends, basically, I know that all of us know people that are... Um, uh, driving Uber, Lyft, all of these different services, and they are maybe doing it as a second job, or they're enhancing, you know, hours that they used to have at a different job, and it is it is helping their personal economy. It's helping them thrive and prosper. And here this bill is, and I kind of remember seeing that, and I thought I needed to do more research on it. But if you don't have an electric vehicle, the Colorado government is going to penalize you and your drivers. There is something inherently wrong about that because government should not be getting in the way of people's personal economy. But we have Jason McBride on the line with us, and he specializes in helping people with their own personal economies. Jason, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really good, uh, Kim. By the way, the website Steve is talking about is usdebtclock.org. Thank you very much. Okay. I felt kind of silly. He kept referring to it, and it's like, you don't have that information to give to the <laughs> listeners. So thank you, Jason. You're welcome. Well, and Jason, you, you do specialize in personal economies, and, and one of the things is jobs. Uh, jobs, if people have a job, there's, some, there's great dignity in working. So what about the jobs numbers this last week? Well, they, they kind of surprised by coming in right about as expected, which is a surprise these days when anything happens as expected. Uh, we added about 164,000 jobs. Uh, Kim, the unemployment rate stayed right at 3.7%, but the labor participation rate ticked up just a little bit to about 63% which means I think about 370,000 additional people kind of jumped into the the pool saying, okay, now I'm ready to try to get a job. And those were people before that were on the sidelines that had been considered, uh, had given up, weren't even looking, so they weren't being counted in um, in the count of the unemployed. So I think it's impressive that we kept the rate at 3.7 and to me it's hard uh, it's difficult to imagine getting too much lower than that I mean really for the most part we're we're at what you would consider full employment right now 
Okay. Well, those are pretty good numbers. And uh, I mean, since there's a higher labor participation rate, that's hard for me to say this Monday morning, then that means that there's actually even more people that got jobs. Am I hearing that correctly? Well, there's more people that jumped in to say, I'm going to try to get a job. They came off the sidelines of not even trying. Now they're trying. Okay, I got it. So, And Jason, just very quickly, I'd like people to check out, uh, sign up for my emails because we've got a really cool thing coming up, your nuts and bolts uh, uh, presentation, and that's going to be in mid-September. So if you want more information, go to my website. We're going to have that on there today. That's going to be a lot of fun, Jason. Yes, absolutely. Nuts and bolts with Kim and Jason. This will be our first one, and hopefully it will be good enough where it's not our last one, Kim. I think it's going to be awesome. So, Jason, thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You betcha. Okay, and we will be right back with Dennis Gallagher, former Denver City Auditor and former State Representative. He was one of the architects of the Gallagher Amendment. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, Always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Social media is important to the Americhicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at Americhicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the Americhicks radio show. Contact us at americhicks.com or email Kim at americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. I am thrilled to have on the line with me Dennis Gallagher. He is the Gallagher of the Gallagher Amendment. Dennis Gallagher, welcome. Well, it's great to be on with you, Kim. Thanks for having me. Well, definitely. Um, The Gallagher Amendment, named after you, uh, explain it. What is it exactly? Well, when I was in the legislature um, and I was going door to door in my Democratic primary that first time in 1970, that's how far back I go, old enough to be your grandfather. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, I kept hearing from older people that would come to the door. They'd 
say, Gallagher, if you, I'll vote for you if you can do something about these damn property taxes. They're driving us out of our hearth and home here, uh, and that was in North Denver, where I still live. I still live here in North Denver, and it's so funny. As I drive around now, I remember the senior citizens that used to come to the door and say, Gallagher, what are you going to do about these property taxes? So we had some studies done um, that showed that, if I remember correctly, that uh, the breakdown between business class and residential class in Colorado was that business would always come to the legislature and get all kinds of breaks, and homes would then eat up, pick up that portion of any loss that was brought to to the coffers of Colorado by just adding it on to homes. And so what we were facing in 1970, Kim, was, or in the 1980s, actually, when we really began looking at it, was that I think, if I recall correctly, uh, homes were paying about 70% of the total property tax buy for the state of Colorado, and business was paying around 30%. So we, the Gallagher Amendment, uh, tries to balance that off by saying that residential property rate payers in Colorado will make up 45% and the business classes will make up 55%. And that's what it does. That's what the Gallagher Amendment does. It keeps the uh, percentage of residential property taxes at 45% of the total property tax buy. And that's why Colorado has one, in my view, one of the more progressive uh, property tax uh, bills in the nation. Because if you look at some of these other states, for example, I think I've got some cousins in New Jersey and they were telling me they pay like a thousand dollars a month for their property taxes. It's wow. like an additional house payment. So how the question then becomes, and I know people are complaining about the uh, Gallagher Amendment. Even my fellow Democrats are out to try to get get at it. And but the question that they want to ask is, how much more do they want to see homes pay so business can pay less? And Denver is a wash in money. For example, I've had a lot of business owners say to me now as I come by and visit them, they say, Gallagher, what are you going to do about our property taxes? So it's not the residential class, it's the business class that seems to be uh, getting a real high uh, price in, in property tax increases. And there's nothing to stop local jurisdictions from giving a small rebate back, just as the state and, and Denver give a small rebate back the senior citizens on their property taxes. So there are some solutions, and I know Ron Stewart, uh, whom uh, you're going to have on, is able to talk about those too. So. Okay, well, so that's a little background on the Gallagher Amendment. And actually, Kim, what we did is uh, it was around that time that California was having its property tax revolution. Mm-hmm. We did not want to see in Colorado. Uh, where they just slashed property taxes down to like 1% or something like that, which would have really uh, put Colorado 
you know, into a dire strait. So that's that's a little background there, and that's how we got it through. It was voted by the legislature, Republicans and Democrats. I don't believe I don't recall that anybody voted against the Gallagher Amendment when uh, the legislature put it on the ballot uh, back in the early 1980s. And then the people, of course, voted for it, and now we have it. And then along comes Tabor 10 years later. Mm -hmm. I tried to say, Kim, I tried to say, now there's some problems here because when, like in rural areas or in some areas where they didn't have a high business um, uh, class of of, uh, properties, uh, there would be a shortfall, like on education or something. So what the legislature would do then is just adjust the mill levy. And that's one of the things that uh, irritated Douglas Spruce is that the legislature had that power, which we've, we had since we became a state in 1876. And uh, the power of the purse and the power of taxation lays with the people, not with the governor. And uh, so uh, we... Uh, that's how that's how that that's a little background on the Gallagher Amendment and it passed with a very sizable uh, amount and uh, there there are some issues with it but I think that good creative minds can get together and work them out well and I I don't think that the throwing away Gallagher getting rid of Gallagher is the solution uh, I, I think that there's probably more surgical approaches that we could could do to address, for example, what you talked about in the rural areas. So what would be some of your suggestions on how to fix Gallagher? And it would be a constitutional amendment, but what would be some suggestions to fix Gallagher in these particular instances? Well, Kim, the uh, idea of Senator Ron Stewart to uh, have a... a a rural factor on on Gallagher is certainly one thing to consider. And you're right, it would take a statewide vote because Gallagher is in the Constitution and and even the legislature, even the governor by himself can't just snap his fingers and say, oh, let's just raise property taxes. It takes a vote of the people. And that, of course, is due to Tabor. And if I were in the legislature still, um, even though I was not much in favor of, of Tabor when it came into being, because in reality, Kim, what it does, it makes us no longer a republic. We're, we're becoming like Switzerland. I'm surprised if we won't see pretty soon people wanting to put every zoning change on the ballot and have, for example, uh, you read where... Uh, Lake would just put a one percent growth limit on uh, on growth uh, over there in Lakewood, and I asked a lot of my friends over in Lakewood. I said, "Why did you vote for that?" And they said, "Because we don't like we don't like what's going on in Denver. That uncontrolled growth, the the traffic and the pollution and all the uh, people crowded in. It just." Uh, uh, is not good, and that's why we voted for it. I thought it was very interesting that uh, the community of this little town of Lakewood, Colorado, would put a 1% uh, limit on it. And so uh, you're, you're right. There are some uh, things that could be done, and maybe this uh, in a rural area 
or in an area uh, where there's not a lot of business properties uh, who then bear a little larger burden of the property tax pie uh, because of Gallagher uh, with the 45-55 split is certainly one thing to look at. The second thing is Denver is awash in money. Can you believe, Kim, that the mayor and city council actually persuaded the citizens of, of Denver to vote for a sales tax for parks? I, I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. So Denver is awash in money, and yet there's a lot of small businesses that are telling me they're thinking of moving to other counties that have a little higher business percentage like Adams County. And uh, so uh, nothing prohibits uh, a municipality or a jurisdiction for, uh, for giving a small rebate back to certain businesses. Maybe you could base it on the number of jobs supplied in the community in order to keep that, that business going in, in Denver uh, or in an area where... Uh, the property taxes for businesses have gotten pretty high. So those are just two little suggestions that, uh, I, and I know they were discussed, I know they were discussed uh, on what they called the Gallagher Interim Committee, uh, which they had at the legislature a couple of years ago, and Senator Stewart and I went down and commented to them. And let me just share one other thing. Uh, the legislature may have overreached a little bit uh, when they want to repeal Tabor outright. The people in Colorado, Kim, I think have gotten used to having a say in whether they want to see their taxes go up. And some places have been very generous, like Denver, given a sales tax. Can you believe it? A sales tax to keep up the parks. And then so now Denver's got a, a wash and a lot of money got a big surplus, a lot of which they're wasting out at the airport with that fiasco on the, <laughs> the convention center, or yeah. not the convention center, the, the great hall, right. the hall of whatever it is out there. Another three years, did you read that? I did. I saw and that. So, I mean, well, uh, we're, we're getting off topic here, but the uh, that's one other suggestion, and I've gone to a couple of city council members. Uh, Rafael Espinoza, who was my own councilman up here in North Denver, uh, replaced by Amanda Sandoval, uh, with whose father I served in the legislature, Paul Sandoval. And uh, I suggested to them they might want to at least have the Denver uh, legislative research uh, people look at what what would it take to keep uh, small business in Denver so that we keep the benefit and not drive them out with high property taxes. But if I, re, if I re, have read the uh, analysis for the business uh, uh, side uh, for the ballot that's coming up on the double C, I don't know whether you've talked about that much, but the, the legislature, if I recall, wants to do two things. Number one, allow the people to keep the Tabor money, that is, the money that goes back as a payment back to citizens above sort of a complicated formula. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it, it just sort of repeals that, and then the right of the people to vote on it. I think a better approach 
might have been to say let the let the state keep and let the jurisdictions keep the ta- what they call the Tabor the Tabor surplus, mm-hmm. which normally goes back to the people, but then still allow the people to have uh, a say on their on their taxes. And I think that might have been a little more of a middle path that I think uh, should should have been considered. But I'm no longer in. I'm retired now quite a few years. But uh, that would have, I think, been something that you might have been able to sell to the people a little better. Okay. Uh, I think they're going to have a – this is going to be a tough battle. People are real cynical uh, about this, and uh, I'll, I've – uh, I'll be anxious to see how it turns out. So that's sort of a long answer. Okay, well, good. But, you know what, Dennis? Let's go to break. And when we come back, let's continue. This is absolutely fascinating. We are talking with the Dennis Gallagher. He is the one of the architects of the Gallagher Amendment, which was put in place to have a, a more... Uh, equitable, uh, uh, fair t- or property tax system between businesses and re- residential here in Colorado. So this is Kim Munson. We will be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GRR, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, August 2nd through Thursday, August 8th, features will include The Lion King, Toy Story 4, and Spider-Man Far From Home. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and the steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. And uh, thrilled to have on the line with me Dennis Gallagher. He's a former state senator who, along with Ron Stewart and Barbara Holm, all Democrats, uh, worked uh, back in, what, 1982 uh, to present uh the Gallagher Amendment, which has become an amendment to the Colorado Constitution. And the purpose really was to, to have a fairer tax system, property tax system, between residential and commercial. And uh, so it's a, an amendment to the Constitution now. And, and what was the real purpose? As you were all crafting this, what was it that you were trying to accomplish? Well, it, it, this was back in the early 1980s, uh, Kim. And if you'll recall, uh, you were probably in grade school at the time. <laughs> I'm not telling my age, okay? <laughs> oh, I'd never ask. But uh, anyway, the uh, what what people were seeing in California 
they were seeing an extreme increase in property taxes, especially for homes. So what they did is they uh, got on, they got, they petitioned, got on the ballot, and they put one of the most onerous limitations on home property taxes that ever uh, appeared in the United States of America. And they were threat. the people of Colorado, I can remember uh, coming into the Senate on Monday mornings and I saw an old friend of mine, Joe Shefflin, who represented part of Jefferson County. And he looked sort of disgruntled. I said, Joe, what's the matter? He said, well, I spent the whole weekend going to town meetings in public schools in Jefferson County. And guess what they're talking about? They're talking about the increase in property taxes on houses that had been allowed to to increase. Uh, this is pre-Gallagher. And uh, so the taxes on homes were just increasing like you couldn't believe. And uh, uh, he said he didn't want to see the state go like New Jersey, so what are we going to do? So that's when we all began talking, Senator Holmes, Senator Stewart, Senator Mendez, and Dickie Lee Hullinghorst, former Speaker of the House. We all got together and we came up with the Gallagher Amendment that at least uh set some balance when it comes to the future as far as business and residential uh taxes in the state of colorado are concerned and the, i blame the governors a little bit uh governor romer had several a couple of chances where he said to the people uh, don't vote for this uh this was before uh tabor came along but they were sort of junior tabers that had come along and we're going to limit uh, the taxes and Governor Romer would go around the state and he's very good at, at that anyway and he said uh, oh no don't worry the I and the legislature are going to take care of this and they never did so then finally uh, Douglas Bruce put the uh, Tabor Amendment on and that's why we have the Tabor Amendment today so that was one thing give people a say on their taxes even though i was not necessarily convinced that was the best but the real purpose of gallagher was to fend off that onerous property tax revolution that was coming against home uh, increases in taxes uh in the early 1980s and it did that it really did kim it in colorado now from what i understand is one of the more some will say regressive. Some of my fellow Democrats will say regressive property taxes when it comes to homes. Uh, after all, because you got to have a home. You can't you 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 can't just tax that entity uh, to to the to the heavens. You've got to have some balance here. It ties into homelessness. It ties into the ability of middle class people to keep their homes and live in a home. And this is the only amendment in the Constitution that I've been able to find, Kim, that, that is in there fighting for the middle-class taxpayer. There's nobody else has lobbyists down there. The middle class right. has no lobbyists down there at the legislature saying, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and raise uh, taxes on homes and not worry about it. And... Uh, so that's what it did, and I think it's been working pretty well, uh, although there have been, as we discussed in the last segment, 
uh, problems where you've got a, a low business base, like in some of the rural areas. And so that's why Senator Stewart's idea of maybe having a rural um, business, uh, low business uh, segment uh, in a jurisdiction to look at a, a, a possible uh, amending of the percentage between residential and uh, property. But at the same time, uh, I, I, I sort of have cognitive dissonance here. So while I have objections and concerns about the Tabor Amendment, at least homeowners, if they try to raise home taxes, Kim, will have a say on whether they want to see their home taxes go up. And the question I hope the elected officials and legislators will ask, and I know Senator Stewart and Holm and Mendez and Hullinghorst agree on this, is how much more do you want to see homes pay so business can pay less? And just be honest with the people and tell them, that's what I think we've got to do, and that's what I'm going to be trying to do, Lord willing, to shed light upon this and make sure we work something out. We're reasonable people here in Colorado. We're thoughtful, and I know there's uh, plenty of people around uh, that have lots of good ideas on it, and so we'll see if we can't work it out. Well, and I, I agree. I think that there's some surgical things that can be done because what typically is held up as the reason to get rid of Gallagher is what you just described is, is uh, this um, challenge that some of the small communities have. They yeah. may, you know, their little fire departments. Uh-huh. But we can fix it without getting rid of Gallagher. And ultimately, you know, what I see sometimes with politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties is they make that kind of that compelling, compassionate uh, case. For example, the little fire department out in rural, you know, rural Colorado. But, But the real question is, and you just nailed it, is the real question is, is how much more do we want residential property taxes to go up so that commercial property taxes go down, right? You betcha. And I don't think we want to become like New Jersey, where my cousins are paying thousands of dollars a month in property property taxes on their little homes. you got to have a home. And uh, also, Kim, I've noticed that in Denver especially, the citizens are very generous. They, 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 they are so good about saying, oh, well, let's add a little more on the property taxes here. We'll be able to do this for the people. And a lot of those pass. Now, not all of them do, but Gallagher has has enabled a lot of jurisdictions to be able to get property tax increases uh, passed because uh, of the uh, limitation on increases in property taxes. And another person you might want to get on the program is Joanne Groff, who's the property tax administrator. She's one of the best explainers of how the uh, how they set the uh, assessment rate every couple of years, and she's really good at explaining. I hope you'll have her on sometime, too, to really shed more light on, on all this. But that, that was the original purpose of Gallagher, was to keep people in their homes. I do think it's working. Uh, there's certainly some things that can be done to correct it. And I uh, pray the Lord to keep me 
well enough and uh, on life enough to be able to help out on the solution. Well, and I agree with you that the idea that uh, people could be forced out of their homes because they couldn't pay their property taxes, uh, that is just not what we should have happening. And so thank you to you and and to Ron Stewart and to Barbara and uh, the other two senators you mentioned for working so hard back in 1982. You never know for sure that's how... You know, and an idea there can actually really help people throughout all these years. So Dennis Gallagher, who is uh, one of the architects of the Gallagher Amendment, thank you so much for joining me so that we could shed light, our, so that our listeners can start to get their brains around these important issues. So Dennis Gallagher, thank you so much. You betcha. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, have a great day. Okay, thanks so much. And our quote for today, as we see the arguments ramping up, to try to get rid of the Gallagher Amendment and Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights Amendment, comes from Thomas Sowell. He said, extrapolations are the last refuge of a groundless argument. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically and strive for high ideals. And like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you and God bless America. <laughs> 